0: Hello and welcome to the Ventureforth podcast. I'm your host, Joe Mahavadivani. We'll be chatting with some of the most interesting founders, startups, and VCs about the experiences that led them to where they are today, what they're currently working on, as well as the journey ahead of them. So on today's show, we've got my buddy Sam Parr, who's the co-founder and CEO of HustleCon Media, one of America's fastest-growing media companies. The company hosts the world-famous HustleCon, Pizza and 40s, and the ConCon Con Conferences, uh-huh. uh, featuring amazing hustlers like Men's Warehouse founder George Zimmer, controversial author Tucker Max, and Adam Lisagor, otherwise known as that bearded guy in all of the startup marketing videos. He loves vintage motorcycles, pit bulls named Sid, and hustling every day. And I'm super excited to welcome Sam to the show. What's up? All right, Sam. So you got... Wait, so you describe us as an events company. We are a media brand that happens to have an event. Uh, did I? I, I apologize. Uh, we also have um, a quarter of a million daily um, readers for our site, and that's where the real business is. That is that's that's amazing, uh, and I'll definitely get to that because I'm curious about how you how you got a quarter of a million uh, readers because that's amazing. So um, what's that? Quarter of a million times thirty, whatever. Uh, that that would five be million a month. Uh, Seven point five. Is it? Oh wow! So, um, so your background in hustling is super eclectic. Uh, so, can you tell us a little about a little bit about that? Okay, so um, I'm from Missouri, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. I uh grew up there when I was 18. I was pretty good at running, so I went to college on a track and field scholarship, a Division 1 track and field scholarship. Um and when I was in Nashville, I was an athlete for 2 years. I, I was always buying and selling shit on eBay. Like I would sell I would our school would give us um we would get like 5 or 6 pairs of free shoes a year, and I would just wear one all year and sell the other 5 on eBay and <laughs> and so I kind of always worked for myself kind of. Um And while I was in Nashville, I met a guy named Mike Wolf. He was the uh, host of a TV show called American Pickers. I was walking my dog and I saw him on the street and I I liked him um, because I loved his show. And I asked him, I just got to know him and said hi and took a photo with him. And then I walked away and I called my mom and was like, I just met this guy. And he's opened up a store here. My mom goes, what are you, an idiot? Go talk to him. Ask him if you could run the store. I was like, oh shit, you're right. So I walked back and I eventually got a hold of him and he asked me to run his store in Nashville. And this was the at the time the second most popular show on TV and so he was kind of famous and so through him I met all these amazing people and I learned what an entrepreneur was because Mike was an entrepreneur. He owns the store, he owns the show, he's the producer of the show and he gets paid and I was like damn I guess I'm an entrepreneur. I've always done this for a long time. I mean I have a job now but I've always been making my own money besides this one job. Fuck uh, screw this job I'm gonna go and be like Mike and start my own business and so and in Nashville, where our store was, we would have like a list, like a line of like a thousand people sitting outside the door, and they're all like rednecks because this was like a redneck TV show. And so I was like, man, they're hungry, and all the store, the restaurants around here are kind of fancy. So I ended up opening a hot dog stand, and called Southern Sam's Wieners as big as a baby's arm. <laughs> and I hired some of my girlfriends, my my friend Carly, and we we basically had like beautiful women selling hot dogs to like rednecks and it was awesome it was amazing and then i started an online liquor store called moonshine online and that went really well and i was like wow the internet is way easier to make money um and so i googled when i was a senior i googled like where are where are internet companies located <clears throat> and like san francisco came up on wikipedia so i was like oh that's interesting i didn't i've never been to san francisco i've never been to california i've never been west of colorado i I guess that's where all the startups were. So I, this was in 2011. I heard about this company called Airbnb and I emailed them and I, I kind of hacked into their system a little bit. Um, and I showed them that I did it. I emailed them and I go, Hey, I just did this thing. And they're like, that's cool. Do you want to interview for a job here? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And they go, you live in San Francisco, right? And I was like, yeah, I'll be there on Monday. And so this was like, a few days before so I just flew out there and got this job interview and they ended up giving me a job and so I I moved I went back home that weekend and sold all my stuff and me and my dog packed a bag up and we flew out here to San Francisco this was in summer of 2012. Wow that's uh pretty early in Airbnb's history. Yeah I discovered them in um 2000 and late in 2010 or no wait I discovered them actually when I was started in two thousand nine. I discovered them when I was a sophomore, so I discovered them in two thousand nine or two thousand ten because of a popular runner in co- one of my uh, a guy in college who I knew who was a runner. He quit running to join this company, and I heard I read about it in like in the message on the running message boards where all the nerds live, like myself. And I was like, oh, I, this is cool. And he was the I don't know tenth employee there, and that's how I heard about it. And so yeah, it was early. Wow. Uh, so how long were you at Airbnb? Never. I wasn't. So they offered me a job and I moved out here and, um, when I moved out here for my interview, when I visited for my interview, I met this guy named John on an Airbnb and he was the first person I'd ever met who was my age, who was making money on on their own, like had their own business. And he had this idea that he was about to start called a roommate matching company. And, um, so I was like, that's cool. I kind of got to know him. And then I went to my interview, got job, moved back home, or went back to Nashville, packed my shit up, moved back out to Airbnb right at, right after the interview. And the Sunday before I was supposed to start, I called John. I go, I'm not showing up tomorrow to work, to Airbnb. I'm going to join you. Are you cool with that? Can I work for you? And eventually become, hopefully, like, you know, I'll work for you for free. And, and if it goes well, I'll invest some money and we'll become partners. And that, that happened. So I never actually showed up to work at Airbnb. <laughs> I signed the paperwork, but I never had my first day. That's amazing. It sounds like uh, potentially an expensive decision. Um, No. So I heard about them in 2009, 2010. This was in summer of 2012 when I finally contacted them. Uh, I would have been like the 200th employee maybe. I don't know. I don't think there would have been – maybe I would have been 300. But, you know, you don't – I don't think I would have made – I think I've made more money so far. Are you a technical person? No, I knew how to... I understand systems and how systems work, and I understand how to, like, break into shit using basically just Google, like, Googling something, but no, I don't know how to code or anything. Um, I can barely log log into WordPress. So tell me about BunkSF and then eventually Apartmentless. Yeah, so we started this roommate matching company. Uh, The original website was a Weebly website, and we just... Like I said, I know how to, like, hack shit. Basically, what I did was John built the website because he knew how to use Photoshop, and I realized that you can, like, hack Craigslist. They At the time, they allowed you to put an HTML button in there. And we basically... Uh, our premise was that there was uh, an oversupply of people looking for a one-bedroom apartment in an oversupply of, like, four-bedroom apartments. Uh, you know what I mean? Yep. And I was like, well, like, we should just, like, connect that. Or wait, did I say that right? There's an oversupply... Oh, yeah, I said that right. And so I was like, well... So we hollered at... Um, Real estate agents who had two, three, four, five bedroom apartment places. And then we, uh, I would like call them and find a four bedroom that was four grand and I would put it on a Craigslist in the room shared section for a thousand dollars. I said that it was a four bedroom and we would get like thousands of users. Then we'd throw this big old fat party where all like 50 people who wanted to live in a one bedroom apartment in this neighborhood that in an apartment that kind of looked like this. And they would meet each other and mix and mingle, and then afterwards they would team up and move into that apartment or a couple of the other ones that we had, that were similar to that four bedroom. You know what I mean? Yep. And then we would charge them money for it. Sorry, did so? Did you rent out those, uh, those no. apartments? No, no, we didn't have. I didn't have money to do that. No, we just said we'll fill this, and we're not going to charge the landlord anything in exchange. Just give us exclusive access to it, and we'll fill it, and we're going to charge the person who's. Three hundred dollars for the person who lands a, a, an apartment. I see. So you've uh, you you kind of built a broker model like that's kind of popular in New York here. Yeah, I didn't know that it was popular there, but yeah, it was interesting. Uh, and then, so what happened after that? Yeah, so like ten months in, this company called Apartment List hollered at us and they bought us. Um, and one when, when they bought us, they're like, "This is cool, an idea that you guys have." It's at the time it was making we were able to pay ourselves, but not much. Um, but they're like, we'll buy you and give you a little bit of money, and and we'll also give you engineers, and you could turn you could build this up the right way, and we did. So we turned it into the world's first roommate matching iPhone app, and this was like Tinder. I think was only a couple months old at the time, and so we just kind of replicated Tinder, and uh, it was like Tinder for roommates, basically. And you describe bunk as uh, changing your life. How so? Um, it was the first time I've ever like le- legitimately. Um, like, like teamed up with someone and tried to do things by the book. Um, I also, the acquisition was huge. It was okay. Like, you know, I got like, financially it was okay. You know, I, I got, I, at the very least, I got a salary that I didn't deserve. But I learned from the guys who, from List. I learned how to, well, I guess I'm, I'm definitely still learning. Everyone would say I'm still learning for sure. But I kind of learned how to manage people and how to measure growth and how to inspire others. Granted, I'm still only okay. But yeah, I learned that. So you're only at apartment list for a short time. Why why did you end up leaving and had you already completed your earn-out? I was there for one year and one day. Wow. So I got I quit on the one day mark where I was yeah. Um no, I did not complete my earn-out. I only got a, a little bit of it. But I had to get out of there. It wasn't for me. So I left uh, in May of 2014 and I was thinking of an idea to start next and didn't know what to start next and so I ended up hosting a conference because I was from Nashville and that was like where all the live music was and I liked live music but I didn't like know any live musicians out here so I was like I'm gonna rent out a music venue and I'll put like speakers in there and like like talks and we'll make it like a tech conference but we'll make it feel like a concert and that's what I did uh we called it HustleCon. that was in um I, my last day of work was in May of 2014. I hosted the event in August of 2014. I, I was a, uh, a volunteer at that one. That was a yeah, great show. That was fun. Um, and then so from HustleCon to Hustle. Yeah, so after the first HustleCon, it was really profitable. I made like 60 grand in like four weeks. profit. And I was like, God damn, I did not think that was going to happen. I thought this was going to lose money. I did not think this was going to be meaningful at all. So I sat on it. I didn't do anything. I went on a motorcycle trip. I drove my motorcycle across the country and just reflected for like three months. And then in January, I emailed my partner, John, who uh, he was the guy who came up with the idea for the roommate match and let me work with him. I said, John, I don't know what we have here, but at the very least, we could pay ourselves a couple hundred K a year if we really wanted to and run these conferences. I want to go bigger. I don't know what. If we can, but I, there's at least something here. Do you want to come and be partners with me? And he did. And then we did another event that spring. And that like was like four times bigger. You had about uh, 400 people at the first one? I had about 360 people at the first one. I had about 400 people the second one. But the revenue was like four times. Wow. Um, or three times. It was a lot more. And like the same cost. It was like way more profitable. And we did it. And we're like, damn, like... It happened again. We didn't think it was going to be this big, but it worked out well. And, and we didn't work that hard. We only worked for 80 days. And we did really well. And we did that, and we're like, okay, something's definitely here. And I read some stat that the average viewer of a CNN and Fox News person was, um, I believe it was uh, 67 years old. And I was like, holy shit. That is crazy. The average age. That means that like a lot of people are in their... 70s and 80s and I was like that sounds crazy to me and then I saw that Vice had raised money at like a 10 billion dollar valuation and the way that HustleCon got popular was we created tons of content we didn't spend a dime on advertising we just created content and I was like you know like conferences are cool but it really only impacts like a couple hundred people or a thousand people who show up what if we like went hard on this content thing you know it's I think there's a need and it can be a big business as proven by vice. And that's what we did. So in July of that year, July of 2015, we raised a little bit of money from some of the speakers um, of the conference because they're all like entrepreneurs and investors and shit like that. And we launched. And the idea was that we wanted to be like an alternative to the Wall Street Journal. And we launched the hustle as a blog. It was simply a blog where we would do crazy experiments like, take drugs and talk about what it felt like and how it impacted our happiness and productivity. We would write about news. We would write about anything that we thought that we would want to read. Basically, a young, aspirational, um, mostly male um, business person. So what does the hustle mean to you? Um, As a brand? Uh, I guess the word hustle. Uh, That's an interesting question. Um, You know, like... It's a really simple definition, which is just like relentless hard work, is how I, I mean it. That's what I think it is. Um, our parents think it's something different. You know, it's right. Hustler Magazine or hustle means to steal. But hustle now is just grinding. Right. Um, it's just it's relentless uh, persistence and hard work. And so you mentioned that you raised money for the hustle. Was that difficult to do, especially being a, a media company? No, this, no, when we first launched, we raised $320,000. We had already had like 300 grand in the bank from our events and the people who, everyone who invested had attended a conference. And so pretty much the consensus was like, I kind of see a need for this. I kind of see a business model for this, but I 100% know that you can pull shit off. I'm going to trust you. Yeah, I mean, as somebody as somebody who puts on conferences myself, I I know how stressful they can be. But you know, for a for a short amount of time, one of the hardest things though is to secure great speakers. And you have never had any trouble, it seems, uh, having a great lineup. What goes into uh, creating that lineup? Yeah, so it all comes down to the same thing, which is the power of the written word. Uh, we I email. I it's a little less now, but. Cold, just cold email like crazy, we're, we're, we're world class at copywriting and cold emailing. And, it's, and what copywriting and being good at writing which basically just means understanding what motivates people and using the written word to satisfy their wants and needs. And so that's, all, that's how we did it. The way that I hacked into Airbnb, one of the story I told you earlier, is because I built a system that allowed us to find anyone's email. Um, now that's normal, but back then that was not normal. You know, now there's so many plugins that do that. Back then, I was one of the few who who had done it, and so I've always been like getting in touch with people, and so and then I learned how to do copywriting, and it became way easier. So in terms of growth, I'm I a big fan of the newsletter, and I read it every day. It's it's on my list, on a short list of uh, things I read before 10 a.m. And so, how many subscribers do you have now? How did you build that audience, and how hard is it to keep those readers engaged? Yeah, so we launched as a blog in August of 15. In April 2016, we changed to an email, uh, a daily email. And it, so that's been, how many months has it been since April? 10 months. Uh, right now, we've got a quarter of a million subscribers. So we have a quarter of a million daily uh, users. Up until last week, we hadn't spent a dime on marketing. It had all been, um, or it had just been organic. Uh, mostly word of mouth. And we also created some software that... Uh, We now have 1,200 or 1,300 ambassadors, and ambassadors become an ambassador by getting a unique URL and sharing it and inviting their friends to join the hustle, and that's uh, probably the biggest way we've grown. Do they get something for that? Um, If they get four people, they get invited to our private group online where we have AMAs, like we had Tim Ferriss come on last week. If they get... The numbers are always changing because we're testing it. If they get... Like, let's say 15, they get a t-shirt. If they get... Oh, no. If they get 10, they get a sticker. If they get 15, they get a t-shirt. If they get 50, they get a hoodie. If they get 100, they get a hat. Yeah. So, they get, like, all... We have all types of swag. Like, my... Here's my hustle hat. This is great radio, by the way. Yeah. Let me put it on. There you go. I got my hustle hat. Yeah. So, they get all types of crap. And is this, like, an annual program? So, like, Yelp Elite, for instance? Um we mail them stuff every two weeks. Or no, now it's every three weeks. So once you're in the club, you're, you're in the club? Yeah, and then like sometimes you'll get free events, free tickets to our events. Oh, that's Yeah, it's, it's it's like an online thing. And uh, right now they're like built... like So now there's like a Slack channel that they created for themselves. Uh, it's pretty cool. You need a subreddit next. I do. Yeah, so we have a Facebook group that's super active. Are you part of that? I, I am not, but I will be now. I'll invite you to it. Um, yeah, so we have like a uh, Facebook group that's super active. People are, like, helping each other get jobs. I mean, Slack route is cool. So what was the most popular story? Was there, like, a big breakout hit? Yeah, there was probably three or four. The very first article we'd ever launched, it was about a friend who we have in common, I believe. Um, we basically ah, read yes. uh, I my this friend of ours. He's, like, a normal, nice, nerdy guy. Like, he's, like, a peer. He's, like, a cool, cool guy. But he, like, r- created an alter ego where he was, like, a pickup artist. And he wrote books about that. And he didn't actually write the books. He like outsourced it and paid a Filipinos three three hundred bucks to do it. And then he paid the other people to review the book. And and he basically just hacked the system and it ended up making like fifty or sixty thousand dollars a month selling eBooks on like a topic that he didn't really know that well because he also had like other niches where it was like cleaning supplies books, like one hundred one natural ways that baking soda helps your house. Just stupid. <laughs> anyway, we like we like. And then we also knew that there was all these like pseudo authors who put best selling Kindle author on their Amazon, on their LinkedIn. And we're like, that is bullshit. That is stupid. They're misle- That's misleading. And so what we did was we outed these people for doing that. And then we um, plagiarized another book to prove that we can make it become a bestseller. And we put bestseller on all of our uh, LinkedIn profiles. And that was the first big article. That got, that probably reached a quarter million people in our first week of existence. And that was crazy. And then after that, we uh, lived on Soylent for a month only and wrote about it. And then we took LSD. Now, I, I, I won't say who did it, obviously, because it was anonymous. But somebody took LSD and wrote about how it impacted their life. Sam's winking at me right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> um. It was not me, I can say that. I don't do pretty straight so, most of the newsletters that I subscribe to have, like, way too much content. But you guys have three, like, it's the same length, like, three stories um, every, every day. Five. Five stories every day. Yeah, that's good that you don't know that. Interesting. that means that you're reading. I, I'm totally reading the whole thing. I don't know how I, well, so how do you decide on, on like, how, how long it should be? Because, like, there's, there's stuff that's too long and then it breaks off in, in Gmail and I have to click something to, like, download the rest and stuff. Not and for he, us. No, not for you. But, but yeah, so you have to understand how email works. Um, I forget what the size is, but it has to be under a certain size so it won't ever get clipped. And we know what size that is, and so we we like measure it before we send it. Um, yeah, so like we use copywriting techniques, and we, using that, we kind of know the right length for a story. We I would say like we we ha- we use a lot of data to tell us what our readers like, but really. We treat our writers' room kind of like the Jimmy Fallon show or like Saturday Night Live where Lindsay and Kendall are writers. They like Lindsay wants to be a wants to be like Tina Fey. She wants to be a comedian. And Kendall's hilarious too. And they just shoot the shit and they like talk about the news and they talk about what they think their friends would like. And it's really organic. They're just we just hire really talented people. So let's go back to the biohacking for a minute. You mentioned that you had some popular stories. Um, you know, including living off of Soylent and then micro microdosing LSD. Have you ever uh, biohacked yourself? Well, not in the way that you're asking, probably. I don't drink alcohol. I remember when I first met you, you had you were a little bit heavier. Yeah, I was a lot fatter and I was way wilder and I got in trouble all the time and I was crazy and uh, I quit drinking alcohol and that was that's a biohack. I guess not the one you're looking for, but yeah, that counts, Um, and that was like life changing. So that's kind of a biohack, right? And but since then, I don't do any substances. None. I don't even drink caffeine. Really, I'll drink diet coke every once in a while, but really, I don't drink caffeine. Where do you get your energy from? Just life, man. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't. um, Just I just I'm an I just like to I like to live. I don't know. Interesting. That's awesome. Uh, I never understood that. Like, what do you mean? We're, We're like. It just feels good to be alive. I don't, totally. So I, no, just, I, I think like I sleep well oh, I, and that helps a lot. I, I think that helps a lot. I think, uh, you know, I, as long as I've known you, you, and, and actually pretty much every entrepreneur and investor I've ever talked to for the most part has, you know, what I would call like a motor, you know, they are always hustling and they're always, you know, thinking about something and working on something. You know, it's never like the brain is never really on idle. I haven't sat down and watched TV in 10 years. Uh, that's that's amazing, right? Because that, that takes <laughs> yeah. up so much time and and brain space and just even thinking about following a show. I mean, I think... I just can't do it. Up until I started dating Sarah, uh, my I, my girlfriend Sarah were together, but before I met her, I hadn't been to a movie in 10 years. Oh, wow. I just can't sit. I, I hate it. I can't sit still. Wow. Yeah, you know how to have fun. Well, but you still know how to have fun. Yeah, I like to go outside. I like to ride motorcycles. I just can't, like, sit and, like, not fidget or, like, uh, yeah, just not for me, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm in your office now. Uh, we're in the uh, original Craigslist office. Yeah, Zappos too. Started. Zappos was here down down below. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, th- your company seems like a super fun place to work. Um, and you're hiring, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what's the company culture like? And you know, what kind of hustle do you look for in a new team member? Yeah, so we're our culture is evolving big time, purposely. Um, I am, I used to be a lot more conservative in terms of, um, innovation and things like that, which I'm desperately trying to get out of that. But our company culture is extremely hardworking. We work very hard. Um, we definitely, can I cuss? Please. We're very, you've been been doing it all. all Sorry. We're we're very like, we have a very, we always say, fuck them. We say it all the time. We, we, we hate doing things how other people do them um so we we have a very like a fuck you attitude all the time we always just say fuck the police not actually the police but that like nwa spirit of like right. we're rebellious we're extremely um disciplined like if if someone says an idea and they want to do something and if you ask them why and they don't have a good answer then they'll get destroyed um we don't suffer fools lightly right, the right way. Uh, I, mean, I think that's probably a peeve of yours just kind of personally right yeah, I can't stand that. If someone says, like, let's do something and go, why? I'm like, well, I don't know. I just, I don't know. And it's like, no, why, the f- why, why are you going to say that? Don't say that if you don't know. And it's okay to say, like, I think it's a good idea because I have a feeling it'll work or because it sounds cool or this is something I would like. You don't always have to have it backed by data. But if someone cannot stand up for their opinion and explain why they're going to do something, we do not respect that person. And that is part of our culture, right or wrong, but it's very, um, like... It's just driven by that big time, right? (laughs) So, as somebody running a media company, what are your thoughts on uh, this fake news, uh, and uh, is it as big an issue as it's being reported? It's a huge issue. So, you have to. The context behind here is you have to understand how media works. So, basically, in the nineteen seventies and eighties, even well, even before that, but let's seventies and eighties when CNN started going um, in the late eighties you had these pipes, right? And it was like satellite or uh, cable, and everyone watched it. So they didn't have to worry about tricking you into watching something. They just had to create quality stuff, and hopefully it would catch your attention and you watch. And then um, the internet came, and so people started realizing that like newspapers and stuff like that was were outdated, and they didn't have to hire, like they could just hire anyone who could write. And that kind of changed things a little bit, but they actually changed things for the better, I think, because newspapers were sluggish. Then Facebook came about, And people were like, okay, I can get all this traffic on Facebook. I'm going to rely on Facebook now to get all this traffic. And that was well for a little while too. Then Facebook started turning back the dial and preventing media companies who had, let's say you had a million likes on Facebook. When Facebook's first launched, you could reach 50% of your audience. Mm -hmm. They've turned back their dial at this point. I don't know what it is. like 8%. So you have a million likes and you can't reach your audience. So what are you going to do? You're going to like figure out what can I do to trick them to click this button and view my article. So then they're like, well, let's just try a little shocking headline. And they're like, oh, that worked really well. Let's only do that. And let's only have shocking photos. And who gives a shit about what the article says as long as we just get them to click. And that's where we are now. And you have writers who are incentivized because they have to hit a million monthly page views. So they have to write 10 articles a day and get X amount of page views per article. And the only way to do that is to write shit or to get lucky and hope that something goes viral. And it's just like a it's incentivized people to create the worst stuff ever, right? So now people are negatively conditioned to just create crap. And users, consumers have the best bullshit detector ever. Ever, I mean, like my generation, but also more so, people one generation below me, the people who are well. Let's see, I'm 27, so people are like eight, millennial. Yeah, (laughs) what's that before that and after Uh, that? Gen X, Gen X, whatever, whoever they are, you know, the 20s and down you know 18 down like my generation and down they've got the best bullshit detector on earth really good bullshit detector because they grew up with the internet sorry that would be i think millennials then gen z gen z that's right so gen z and millennials so let's say 32 35 years and younger you grew up with with electronics you grew up the internet your bullshit detector is so freaking good right now and everyone knows this they see like you can't wait till you see this or the top 10 right and they're like not going to click it anymore so, yeah, and that's why Facebook's, like, ruining, is, like, pulling back their reach because people, they don't want people to consume this stuff they know is shit. Right. So how, uh, how can Mark Zuckerberg uh, combat this fake news? If you were Mark Zuckerberg, what would you do? If I were Zuckerberg, I would realize that plat- uh, publishers have built massive businesses on the back of Facebook, and they're screwed. They're 100% screwed. There's going to be a bloodbath in the media world in the next two years. These businesses that are, they have raised hundreds of millions billions of dollars on the back of it, so they're screwed. If I were Mark Zuckerberg, I'd be extremely afraid that um, a lot of businesses, including mine, are going to not rely on Facebook for traffic. And he should be very scared. So the way to fix that is to have more, be more friendly towards publishers and allow them to reach their audiences. In a way that's fair. Otherwise, people like me, I don't give a shit about Facebook, to be honest. Go look at our Facebook page. we got 50,000 likes. Like, that, I, that means that's nothing. Uh, so he needs to realize that the new publishers aren't going to rely on that anymore. I mean, hell, there's whole businesses built on YouTube or Snapchat, Instagram, which is a Facebook property. But you know what I mean? Like the People are like afraid of Facebook. Right. I mean, similarly with Google, when Google changes their algorithm, you know, uh, traffic plummets, I think. Jason Calcanis went through this with... Um, yeah, he went out of business. Yeah, I think it was with Mahalo. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think like, uh, a, lot of, uh, uh, a lot of the publishers right, are, you write know, are really scared, and I think maybe the only way to do that is to kind of turn back the clock and, and now continue to produce great content as, as you are. Yeah, the only issue is, the, is, is distribution, so you have to have a lot of eyeballs, right. you, know? you have to have attention. Right. In order to make a media but, business work, but owning the email helps a lot with that. That is our pipeline. Yeah, so we say that our email is our pirate ship, and every bit of every email is just a little bit of wind in our sails. And um, eventually, you know, like the Netflixes and all these other new. There's a whole so many other new content distribution forms that I think will be better than Facebook. Facebook's trying though, but they have to shape it up. I'd like to wrap this up and, you know, ask you a couple of quick fire questions. Uh, you know, first thing that comes to your mind, you can share. Uh, so you used to host a book club called the anti MBA. Yeah. I think that may be where we met after the, you know, continue to keep in touch anyway, at least the, the anti MBA That was popular. It got popular, yeah. What are you currently reading and what is on your recommended reading list? My recommended reading list, I always suggest um, two books. I give them away all the time. The first is Titan by John Rockefeller, my favorite book of all time, life-changing. Um, the second one is The Add a Week Guide to Copywriting. I love that one. Um, I took a I took a small hiatus from reading um, over the past six months. Um, I wanted to see how it was going impact, to impact how I felt. Um, I just started rereading Richard Branson's biography because his brand is something that we're trying to do. So I'm reading that right now. It's called... Um, the Virgin White, the Virgin, no. Losing My Virgin. Losing virgin My, virgin. yeah, 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 that's it. Richard Benson's biography. Uh, and so uh, besides The Hustle, what newsletters do you read daily? None. All right, right, we'll cut that one out. <laughs> no, you can keep that in there. That's a, <laughs> none. I, I read ours. I've actually quit reading a lot of news sources. I think ours is the best. It takes a lot of time to, to go through these uh, e- uh, newsletters every day. Trust me. I like Chubby's. Chubby Shorts has a funny one. I read theirs whenever it comes out, but it's not every day. So what was the last thing you taught yourself to do? Uh, I had an oil leak on my motorcycle, so I took apart the engine and put it back together. I, I did that this weekend, and that was the I taught myself how to do that. That's extremely handy. Uh, the internet is an amazing place for information. I assume that you that's where you taught yourself to do it. It's YouTube. the best. YouTube, yeah, it's the <laughs> best. What do you collect, if anything, and why? Uh, vintage motorcycles um, and vintage Americana clothing, in, in particular, uh, how it relates to uh, motorcycles. So I like vintage leather jackets. I like vintage Levi jeans and old boots, motorcycle boots. Um, I collect motorcycles because I love, um, I hate riding in cars. I'm pretty claustrophobic and motorcycles is the only way I feel good. Um, and it makes me kind of, you don't really think about a lot when you're riding a motorcycle because it's you have so much going on. And so it's a good release. And I like vintage uh, denim because... Uh, every pair is very different from any other pair And vintage denim is made from a certain type of denim Where when the more you wear it The more your texture and the colors get into the jean And I think it's really cool that you can kind of wear something It almost turns into a piece of art Very cool And so finally, what's something that you feel strongly about That not many people know? Well, there's a lot I'm um, just like so adamantly against drunk driving um, I had a friend who died from it. Um I used to get in trouble for doing a lot of stuff involving drinking and I see the damage that it can cause people. So I um uh donate money to drunk driving causes and I uh anytime I see someone intoxicated and driving I I have a little nightmare and, or a little panic attack and I try to my hardest to prevent it, but hugely against drunk driving. Wow. Uh, that's uh that's Something that I think is uh, super important. I mean, every time that I I agree, like every time I see it on on the road, like I've got, I mean, you should never use your phone while you're driving, but uh, you'll pull out the phone and I'll uh, I'll report it. Yeah. And it's something that like when I was a kid, I was wild and I used to do crazy shit like that. And then I think it back. I'm like, that was so stupid. That was so dumb. And now Uber's around and just there's no excuse now. Um, And so it's, it's just super important to be aware of your body and where you are and, and just self have self-awareness to know that you shouldn't drive right cool well uh i really want to thank you for your time today uh to be on the podcast and um you know really enjoyed speaking with you and, and learning more about uh your history and the hustle thank you for sharing your story sounds good thank you You can follow Sam on Twitter at TheSamPar, and you can learn more about and subscribe to The Hustle at TheHustle.co. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to The Venture Forth Podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can also follow at Venture Pod on Twitter for our latest updates. As always, I'm your host, Joe Mahavutivani, and thank you for listening to The Venture Forth Podcast.